0: For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is the Move Your DNA podcast, a show where movement science meets your everyday life. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist, author, and long-distance walker. All bodies are welcome here. Let's get moving. Friends, I love walking. You know I do. I often talk about the biomechanics of walking, uh, the impact and benefits walking has on our physical structure, but also how the act of walking, or not walking for that matter, as a society affects the larger societal structures. Walking represents different things to different people. And for this episode, I'm interviewing Ken Johnston, speaking to us from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who walks as a way of actively working to preserve civil rights. Ken's project is called Walk to Freedom. It originated in late 2017 when he found out that the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, was planning remembrance ceremonies to mark the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. He recognized the importance of this moment, and he wanted to contribute. I asked myself what I could do to honor the legacy of Dr. King's ideas. He wrote this on his website, ourwalktofreedom.com. What commitment of myself could I offer the civil rights movement today? How could I pay homage to our ancestors who sacrificed so much for our freedom? And the way Ken decided to pay homage to demonstrate his commitment was by walking. And so he walked from Selma, Alabama to Memphis, Tennessee, nearly 400 miles. And since then, Ken has kept on walking thousands of miles in the name of freedom, in Maryland, New York, Delaware, Massachusetts. Most recently, Ken and a supporter, Deborah Price, completed a 165-mile journey tracing a path that Harriet Tubman took from Cape May to Burlington, New Jersey. Not all of the walks have been in the United States. In the fall of 2019, Ken took part in two international walks— a solidarity and cultural exchange hike across Puerto Rico on the second anniversary of Hurricane Maria and a 114-mile peace walk across Northern Ireland commemorating the 50th anniversary of the Belfast to Derry Civil Rights March. Many of his walks have been solo efforts. Some, like the walk in Puerto Rico, have been collaboratively planned. Ken is also a self-described Walking artist. We're going to talk about that today. He is a member of the Walking Artists Network, founded 15 years ago in London by a group of artists interested in the idea of walking as a mode of art practice. So I just want to say um, also thank you very much for coming and being on the show, not only talking to me, but uh, talking to everyone who listens to this show. Like, that's my intention. Is you no, I have the privilege of having many great conversations. To have them not be private and to be shared with other people is just mm-hmm. the I do the podcast. So thank you for your time and welcome, welcome to the Move Your DNA podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So I love walking, and this show is going to have a lot of threads about walking. So let's just start with the walking part of of what mm-hmm. you're doing right now. So how did you start long distance walking? I guess that's just the great place
1: to start. Well, it goes back to um, the life of former Senator Ted Kennedy. Um, When he passed away, I was living in Massachusetts at the time, and there were all these people coming out talking about how much he loved Massachusetts. And at that time, I said to myself, I would love to discover what he loved about Massachusetts. And that's when the first idea of walking across Massachusetts came to mind. And there it came to mind and then it passed and just kind of sat in the back of my mind for many years and until uh 2017 um that summer i had some time i had no um family obligations or anything like that and so i um decided i was going to try it i didn't tell anyone um because if i failed i didn't want you know people like oh well he tried it and he failed and He didn't really give it a shot. And so I drove to the uh, corner of Massachusetts, the northwestern corner of Massachusetts, which was Williamstown, um, right on the border of uh, New York State. And I parked my car and I thought, okay, I'll take a uh, Uber up to the corner of the state. Well, there were no Ubers in this corner of the state. There were no buses in this corner of the state. So I said, well, you're walking. So I started walking and hitchhiking and and this friendly, um, Boy Scout leader finally stopped after seeing, after going up and down the mountain a few times. And he said, what are you doing? It's <laughs> like, well, I'm trying to get to the, you know, the top of the mountain is so I can uh, turn around and walk back. he was like, had a question mark on his face. And he, um, said, well, hop in, I'll give you a ride. And we started talking and I explained to him. He was like, okay, well, good luck with that. <laughs> and I got to the top of the mountain and, um, I turned around and started walking back downhill. My goal that day was to try to do, you know, eight to ten miles. One that, the those first few miles, um, I discovered everything that would I would encounter later on in all my walks. Mm-hmm. Um, I encountered the difficulty of getting to the trailhead <laughs> and figuring that out, and how you when you get to the to the trail, how you're going to get there, and then depending on where you park your car, how you're going to get back to your car. So all those kinds of issues um, came up right away. Issues with bugs (laughs) and gnats, you know, flying in your faces and how you deal with that took a little while to where I became comfortable with it. And I began to recognize everyone moving in some direction. The bugs were moving in a direction. I was moving in directions. The ants were moving in another direction. We were all moving somewhere. And so connecting with Earth um, in those initial um, few miles. And so that began my journey. And uh, at the end of the day, I discovered my shoes weren't the proper shoes. I didn't have on the proper socks. Um, I wasn't properly prepared. And um, fortunately, there was a a hiking town, outdoor uh, activity store in town. I was able to buy the proper socks. Um, so that was, I avoided blisters <laughs> and I successfully finished the day. And from there, I kept going back to the last point um, that I had walked and continued this segment walk, accomplishing, you know, uh, increasing the mileage from eight miles to 10 miles and finally 15 miles, hitchhiking in between to get to and from my car. And um, next thing you know, I had crossed over the Berkshires of uh, Western Massachusetts and reached uh, Northampton, uh, which was near my home at the time. And upon reaching Amherst, another 10 miles away, um, I realized I could do it, um, yeah. that I could do this walk. And I continued it for um, as a segment walk for the rest of the summer until I reached the very last bit of landmass in Massachusetts on the tip of the Cape, of Cape Cod where I was greeted by some seals (laughs) that were playing in the water.
0: And then the questions that are popping into my head on behalf of other listeners would be a couple things. One, were you already a walker in general? Like, was that distance of, let's say, eight to 10 miles and eventually up to 15, something that you would have thought you could have done? And then also, did you have to take time away from other responsibilities, like work to be able to do a walk to that? Extent or did you just walk it around your obligations?
1: I was not a hiker Um, This was totally new. I was doing it to bring movement into my life Not like going to a gym and working out for 40 minutes, but more wholesome nutritious movement Mm -hmm. and um, I Was doing it in segments on the weekends. So Saturday and Sundays were the time that I was committing to it four to five hours um, I would drive back home after each walk because I was within one hour of home. Um, so I would drive to and from home as I got further away from home, um, towards the central and southeastern part of Massachusetts, I had friends that live out that way and I would stay at their house overnight and continue to walk that way. And then once I get out to, uh, Cape Cod, I would plan to stay out there. I camped out, um, got a tent, borrowed a tent from someone, and, and just started camping out to, as I got further away.
0: How did how do you think walking occurred to you? I mean, have you thought about, I mean, walking is such a huge part of what you're doing, and it seems like there was a mention on TV or in the news that started it, but how do you think you came to walking?
1: Again, it goes back to that uh, Ted Kennedy story, wanting to see what he loved about Massachusetts yeah. and wanting to Um, I had, I had a bicycle, I've done some long distance bicycling, but, um, once I started walking, I put that bicycle down and I haven't been back on it yet. And it's just the, the enjoyment, the slow movement of it, um, the whole body experience that I just really, really enjoy. Just all the sensory experience of walking. And during that walk across the Massachusetts, um, I was passing by all these Civil War statues, and all of a sudden, this national story broke out about you know statues across the Deep South and people wanting to tear them down. They were part of the lost cause, and all of a sudden, I found myself immersed in you know this story about uh, the Civil War and you know all of these statues um, that were representing the heroes from the North um, helped to defeat slavery. And um, so I became more uh, interested in that subject um, because I was also seeing the same statue in each and every little town. And many towns, um, particularly rural and small towns, the only public art you see is this Civil War soldier. They call him the silent soldier or silent sentinel, excuse me. And um, he was made by this company out of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and they made them for the Silent Sentinel for both uh, the Union and Confederate sides. So you would find the same statue in these little parks all across the north and the south. And the only thing that differentiated them was maybe the they modified it so the pouch had a C on it um, mm. that he was carrying. Maybe his uh, hat was slouched a little bit. And so you would see the same Silent Sentinel all over the you know, these towns that I walked through and it was just a, a really fascinating um, way of learning about these, uh, the roles that these towns played in uh, the civil war and how they commemorated the veterans and uh, how the money um, for these statues was like $450, you know, um, how the towns raised these monies for these uh, white
0: monuments. So it's about speed. If I'm understanding correctly, uh, the, the, You know, I was thinking about the idea of walking. To me, walking is always a sensory experience, but I hadn't thought about cycling, also a sensory experience, but it's about the the volume of detail that can sink in. When you're going slower, Mm -hmm. you see more. There's less involved with dealing with other things at higher pace. And so you were able to see a pattern essentially because of just walking, Mm -hmm. not just walking the distance, it's about walking it Mm -hmm. over over land through different communities and you see this pattern um, and, and does this, I guess this becoming aware of these statues, does this launch you into the next layer of what you've begun walking for?
1: It definitely influenced me. Um, it made me go back and, you know, look at um, a little bit more, observe what I was passing, mm-hmm. um, take in some of the history. I've always enjoyed history and, so I really started, you know, looking at, um, some of the towns that I passed through, what was their history? And then I started connecting, you know, some of that history. Um, there was also in the town of Plymouth, Massachusetts, there was a, um, a cemetery that I passed, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, but it was dedicated to these, uh, American revolution, black soldiers and the town gave them all this land, um. And there they lived with their families, and uh, until they all, you know, passed away, and so they had a homestead there in this part of the town. It was away from the white, the main white section of the town, where we think of Plymouth Rock, right. um, And but um, there they had their homestead, and and so you know, I just started encountering the different cultures coming together. You had the European culture. And followed by the African-American culture and then the um, Native American culture, which was always there. And you would encounter these cultures along the way um, or bits and pieces of what's remaining of those cultures. And um, and then you'd be trying to figure out, always be trying to figure out, okay, well, how do they connect here? And, you know, once um, Africans were brought ashore, they were immediately trying to escape and then the cultures that they were running into were the Native Americans. And it's like, okay, you're here. Um, we can help you a little bit. We understand what's going on. And um, so all the places that I've walked, this is you know, what I've been running into is these three cultures, the Europeans, the Africans, and Native Americans all coming together in different points and places. And, and so that story continues to fascinate me to this day.
0: So when did, when did your walks become... More purposeful in, or looking closer to what you're doing now. Like, what was the yeah. the, the, the journey? There? It was
1: after after I completed the walk, in Massachusetts. I wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bug that bites you, yeah, <laughs> and it's like, okay, I want to do more of this. I wanna, and so I submitted a proposal to the National Civil Rights Museum. Um, they were commemorating the uh, 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination and. I said to myself, if I was going to give myself to the civil rights movement, I would do it by walking because that's what it was. It was a walking movement. And um, but we've lost that sense of uh, of the walking portion of it. And um, so they really knew what they were doing. You know, it was helping people. They were getting them off the buses. They were walking and little not everyone wanted to walk, (laughs) you know. There was, you know, it was to bring equality and justice, Um, and so I wanted to walk. So I did this 400 mile walk from Selma, Alabama, to Memphis, Tennessee, crossing over the Edmund Pettus Bridge, um, and just reliving the experience of the original um, marchers from Selma to Montgomery. And it was during that walk that it things just started. You know taking on a lot of meaning and where i first encountered ancestors spiritual energies called much like um that would come to me and i would feel sometimes their their pain their their hardship their joy you know i was one never to like feel spiritual energy but on the, some of these walks that i've taken it's definitely there and um and that's been a wonderful thing to experience so um, I think it was, um, it was a quote, uh, if you it's Keith Plessy from 400 souls, it was when you start looking for your ancestors, you find they have been looking for you. That's what I discovered. Um, on that first walk, and getting to really experience uh, more of the Deep South, and the people that live there presently, and meeting them. Um, when I was um, in the cities, um, it was the black community that would surround me and take care of me during that walk. And when I was in the rural, rural parts of Alabama, it was the white community that would come out and they've read the story about me and, or I would sit down at the restaurant and like, hey, Ken, do you have any place to stay tonight? And I was like, well, actually, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, come on, you can stay, you know, in our camper in the backyard or you can stay, you know, at our house. and. So it was really wonderful. I had uh, I met some amazing people on that journey, and you know, exploring the history of um, of America, of the United States, you know, along the way.
0: One of my favorite lines, and I, I mean, I've poured over your website, which I'll, which is like a, it's like a blog, but it's also a landing place for. I imagine there's a plenty of people wherever you go who just want to mm-hmm. read more by you, you know, and and to hear. Thoughts of your journey, and I'll point everyone listening to where they can do that um, as well. But my favorite line is something I think about a lot. I think about sedentary culture overall, but I really think about how activism itself has become so inactive when it used to be literally putting your body in a place. You know, like it it was active in a in a sense, um, very physical and the line that you have is I wanted to put the movement back into the civil rights movement. And so one of the things I was just wondering what you think about is why do you think, why do you think it's so essential that movement stay in the civil rights movement or that activism? Mm -hmm. Not everyone Mm -hmm. has to be fully active all the time. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. but but this idea that uh, like for me, it has a lot to do with, technology and social media as being the place for so much activism right now, posting things but not as much about physically doing. And why do you think why do you think you thought it was so important to keep the movement?
1: Well, if you've looked over my website, one of the things you'll see, the banner is it's about protecting preserving our civil rights. Yeah. And I felt that our civil rights were being watered down and they still are. And when I look back to 2017, 2018, when I created that website, it was being signaled by decisions made by the Supreme Court. On a national level, it was being signaled by state governments um, passing laws uh, related to various topics, um, abortion being one, um, voting rights being another. The state of Alabama had closed all of their um, motor vehicle centers so you couldn't go and vote or register to vote. And so they were having these mobile motor vehicle centers that would move around the state and you would have to catch up with them to get your license and to be able to register to vote. So there were, there were these things that they fought so hard for during the 1950s and 60s that are being watered down. You're continuing to see that today. And all great movements in the United States started with walking. Mm. That's, that's the kind of energy we have to get back to to make a difference, to allow our voices to be heard on multiple levels. Otherwise, they will just, you know, these, these enactments will continue to be watered down. So that's, that's one of the reasons. I think um, also you have the opportunity to connect with communities, to their local history, to bring greater understanding and respect and vision for who we are today, who we can be tomorrow. Um, is another reason why I walk. Um, and it's also to meet people where they are, you know, in their communities, one-on-one, to be able to have these conversations rather than trying to have them in a large group text or group chat. Um, this way you can meet them one-on-one. And, you know, I had some really amazing conversations, you know, with people um, on that walk across the South. You know, people who read about me in the newspaper or saw me on television, and um, they were just so inspired by what I was doing. I remember this one newspaper is like, this one television is like, he quit his Massachusetts man, quit his job to, you know, to follow in the footsteps of Martin Luther King. And I was like, that's the lead <laughs> that I quit my job.
0: Oh my God, that's, that's and that's part of what you're doing right there. You quit your,
1: you <laughs> <work>. <laughs> but I was making commitment and that's what people saw. And, you know, I remember this one day, this man in the wheelchair came up to me. He's like, are you that fellow who quit his job, <laughs> you know, to walk for Martin Luther I was like, uh, yeah, that. That's meaning is like God bless you, God bless you, and uh, and so it started to take on meaning that it was so far beyond what I thought you know um, it would have on communities, and um, yeah, it continues to. Um, sometimes I am, I'm just the vessel, and I don't know. I'm doing this because it's something I enjoy and I love. And I'm always amazed at how it, uh, what it means to others and how it inspires them. And I'm still trying to understand that. Yeah. They People see things that I don't see in this walk yet. I'm just trying to make them aware of our history and the community that we had here and that we need to um, come together and remind all Americans that we are part of, you know, Black history is American history. And that where they live today, um, in many of these uh, suburban communities that I passed through that are predominantly white, there was before they became these suburban white enclaves, they were um, Black communities that had separated themselves for safety reasons away from the white communities. Um, because frequently, whites would bring violence to black communities. So um, a lot of the places that I've walked are near rivers and creeks um, where um, blacks could escape. And, would be, and you wouldn't be able to see them because uh, they're just so well hidden. But there were, you know, whole communities um, in some of these places. Some of them um, still exist. A lot of them have since um, disappeared as communities have moved on and to different places and more opportunities for living in places um, that they previously could not. So the population and they moved for jobs as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's been uh, very interesting. I, I love doing it, you know, over the past couple of years, I've been following the um, footsteps of Harriet Tubman, um, tracing the Harriet Tubman byway from uh, Maryland to New York City that's been really wonderful, and I am just in awe what she accomplished. Um, excuse me, I'm um, and the more I have followed her in her footsteps, the more I've discovered, um just how thought, well thought out her plans were and how complex they were and how she um, still figuring out how she got from place to place over so many waterways, all the negotiations, and the people who helped her. She didn't do it alone. You know, it was uh, both black and white communities. You know, they were Methodists. They were Quakers. You know, they were all part of these uh, communities that, were opposed to slavocracy. And, you know, the freedom seekers were doing their own bit in breaking down that slavocracy and uh, destroying it by running away, making it difficult for the enslavers to do business as usual. So it's... um, It's been wonderful in in discovering these stories, discovering the institutions um, that they created, the Freedom Seekers created, the communities of free Blacks that were available, that were there to assist, Um, they were family. And on my last walk um, that I just completed recently, it's a 165 mile walk from Cape May, New Jersey, to Burlington, New Jersey, um, following the Underground Railroad through all those uh, those uh, southern New Jersey counties and the creeks and the rivers and um, and how they assisted people with reaching freedom on that side of the river. Um, so it's 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 been fascinating journey in discovering uh, all these different places in the history.
0: Well, I can definitely sorry,
1: I was long-winded there. No,
0: it's good. I, I, I be as long-winded as you like because it's, it all needs to be heard. I can hear this thread of community. You know the importance of mm-hmm. putting yourself in a physical place to interact with the people in the place now, and also the people not in the place any longer, but still having mm-hmm. tangible and intangible interactions, if you will. Sure. How often are you walking in community? Do you feel like are you mostly doing these walks alone? Are there people who would like to come with you? Do you invite people to come with you? Is it what, what's that like?
1: It's always great having someone to walk with. You know. It helps the miles kind of disappear under your feet because you get into conversations and you share about each other's lives and what's going on. And, and then you have these natural breaks where you're just alone, walking, uh, meditatively, and then you may come back together and talk some more. So it's just, um, a naturalness of communications and, um, Sometimes I have people walking with me. many times, I have no one walking with me. So when I walked across the south, um, that was a solo walk that I did. This past walk um, across New Jersey, uh, they were I had two or three other principal walkers that accompanied me. And uh, that was really lovely. We were all history buffs. And so we were just filling in some of the detail. And um, and, you know, having the experience of walking both sides of the Delaware River, I was able to fill in details for them um, in terms of uh, connections that I had made on, on the western side of the river that Harriet Tubman um, is known to have you know, traversed um, on the eastern side of the river. People who live in these communities say she came there, but it's not written anywhere, but they know she's there. So it's the oral history aspect of it um, that um, we were listening to and trying to learn more of. Um, so walking with people is something I always encourage people to do um, for safety reasons also. Um, but it just makes, uh, you know, people who complain, oh, I can't eight, do eight miles. And, and the next thing you know, it's like you see them doing eight miles. Oh, it's so- over already? Oh, we're just having a good conversation, you know, and so that that's really wonderful. and and you know when I walk with people, I you know try to talk with them about preparing themselves for the walk, uh, wearing proper shoes, you know, hydrating themselves. Um, you know encounter people who've gotten some some difficult situations because they didn't hydrate themselves properly. And I would tell them bring plenty of water drink 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 and they would have like four bottles of water in their bag and then I' say how much do you drink and it would be like uh, you know half half of uh, eight ounces I'm like uh, we've been walking for four hours you need to drink more so yeah it's nice having uh, other people join you um, sometimes and um, and there was a wonderful group um, that I met out of the um, mid-atlantic six out of delaware and in maryland and washington dc a group of ladies called uh, we walk with harriet and uh, i consulted with them on their journey um, from uh, cambridge maryland to uh, kennett square pennsylvania which is one of the first places that harriet Tubman crossed over uh, into freedom land and now they have their own separate groups now there's two groups that came out of that one uh, now, which is really wonderful. Um, two African-American women's walking groups. So that's, that's been, and I keep in touch with both of them. And, uh, and that's been a delightful outcome of, uh, walk to freedom in my project, um, seeing other groups, um, develop outside of, uh, our original walks. So it's, uh, it's been really good.
0: What makes a route. Appropriate to be a walk to freedom? What are the characteristics?
1: Um, I look for the history of the area that I'm covering. Is there any documentation um, that it was part of an underground railroad? What still exists there? And also why that may have been a potential route that freedom seekers traveled. Frequently, it's a narrow corridor usually maybe 10 miles wide. Um, There's a river or creeks in that that corridor. Look at the number of churches, um, African-American churches that might have been sprinkled there in that corridor. If there's any historical information about the communities, free African communities that may have been um, along that route and cemeteries. They're all connected, right there. That you find, you find African American churches, African American cemeteries. You will find the Underground Railroad route, and and creeks and rivers. If those are the those are the elements I look for, you find those elements, and you'll find an Underground Railroad route for sure.
0: Um, do you have any special memories from any of your walks? Like just one or two moments that have really stood out.
1: From my last walk, um, across Southern New Jersey, there was this, um, this town called Greenwich, Greenwich, New Jersey, it's um, a river there called Kohansi and it connects to Delaware River and Delaware Bay. It was a really special town to intersect with along this walk um, that I recently completed. It's a there was a hamlet there called um, Springtown. There was a 1.2 churches in this little small section. And there was, it was was Quakers lived at the bottom of the of the hill, and African American community was sort of at the top, no more than a mile from the river. And the Quaker farmers also hired um, the free blacks that lived in that area. There was sturgeon, it was a sturgeon uh, fish along the river, and they would hunt the sturgeon and create, uh, there was a company that took the eggs and made um, caviar. And uh, so that provided more employment uh, for people living in that area. And it was just a very, it was a town that I arrived in, probably about, I'd say 90 miles, 90 mile mark. We arrived there on Easter Sunday. All the remains there of that of that uh, black community is just this church. This um, It's called the Bethel Othello. Uh, AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church. And when we arrived there that morning, um, when we got to the doors, it was just like all of a sudden, it was this flood of emotions, you know, reflecting on just what it would have been like for um, people escaping oppression, arriving at this small uh, hamlet uh, late at night, and then waking up on their first morning of freedom. And um, and there was this church where they could go and pray, and just uh, it was just a very special Easter morning I'd never experienced before like that, um, where I really felt the spirits of the ancestors that had arrived and had worshipped this this uh, church, and um, that was special. That was one special moment. Um, I think another special moment was uh, on the sum of the Montgomery Trail when I crossed from Lowndes County into Montgomery County, um, which would have been on the third day of the four-day March Freedom. There, I remember experiencing these spiritual energies that came to me, and people were so happy; they were delighted. You know, they were overjoyed. They they realized they were making it at that point. They had the assistance of the federal troops um, to protect them. But more than that, they were coming into Montgomery County, the state capital of Alabama. And the ranks of their march started to swell. People heard that they had just crossed into Montgomery County. They started arriving by busloads and carloads, you know, and to walk with the walkers. And that day was really tough. That 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 third day was a really tough segment of the walk. You know, it was like 16, 18 miles, and it was all concrete and hard pavement um, to reach their final overnight uh, camp, uh, Camp 4, St. Jude, St. Jude's City was the name of that camp. And uh, and that's where you had Joan Baez and all these other stars perform for um, the marches that night. But that day, just uh, it was something special when I crossed that line into Montgomery, um, just feeling this fear enthusiasm you know, come to me. So in some of these walks, you do feel um, spiritual energies in certain places and you have to be open. You have to welcome them. Um, I first didn't know how to to speak to those you know, spirits. I didn't know what to say. I was kind of frightened because <laughs> I had never had that experience before. But after a while, you know, you just listen. You just you you're in the moment. You try to be in the moment with them and listen to what they you know have to say. One time when I was um, when I was walking um, in Ireland, spiritual energy I had there was not good. <laughs> It was not good. You could feel they're still struggling. Those those spirits are still just traveling around, filled with anger. And just uh, there's a lot to be worked out there in Northern Ireland. And I did that walk because I wanted to connect their fleeting civil rights movement with the United States civil rights movement. Because they were inspired by uh, the, the Irish Catholic were inspired there in Northern Ireland by... Uh, what was happening in Southern United States. And the, you know, the protests that Martin Luther King and other civil rights leaders were, um, were leading, and they looked at their own lives and says, Well, we we're discriminated against with housing and employment. So they started their own civil rights movement there. And, you know, embracing the slogans and songs of the American uh, civil rights movement. And you know, on that walk there, I was looking at, you know, how to connect these two bloody Sundays. You might remember the, the uh, YouTube song, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And I was looking at how I can connect these two, you know, symbolically connect these two civil rights movements. And the um, civil rights um, walk that they had there was called the Belfast to Derry Civil Rights uh, Walk. It was uh, 75 miles long um, versus the uh, some of the Montgomery Walk, which was only 54 miles. And the difference was they didn't have any protection there in Northern Ireland, um, like the civil rights marchers had here on their third attempt. And they were harassed and attacked from day one until they finished that 75 miles. Um, And there was one famous incident there Called uh, the Burntisland Bridge, um, where the marches were literally stoned um, by uh, various Protestant groups um, that were opposed to um, Catholic liberation or uh, the Catholics uh, being free there in Northern Ireland, and um, and there's a lot of information about that and you know crossing that bridge i crossed it uh, the summer before they tore the bridge down um, back in uh, the spring of 2019 and just you know uh, reliving that experience experiencing what those civil rights marches there um, experienced the hatred um, was the same and but somehow they you know they were able to get across that bridge cuz it was a it was a narrow um, ravine uh, where the bridge was. And so these Protestant groups had pre-positioned uh, uh, fresh-quarried stones on top of this ravine. And then as, as the marches were coming through, they would st- they stoned them. And, uh, and then as they scattered, the police would beat them back into the ravine. It was, it was really awful. And this was probably about 8 to 10 miles outside of um, uh, the city of Derry. The, the Irish Catholics call it Derry. The Protestants call it Londonderry. But they were somehow able to finish that walk that day, where they were, you know, greeted in Derry um, by the Irish Catholic community there. And it was a, it was really amazing um, to walk into that community. Even in two thousand and nineteen, there was a lot of tension. Um, Brexit was uh, was a major issue at that time. And there were some the first Brexit deadline was coming up, and. People didn't know what was going to happen if they were going to go back to having borders again um, between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. There was a lot there, a lot of tensions at the time, and the spirits in the air were just, uh, it was like, there was a riot while I was there. There was sadly a journalist that was killed. And I I said to my friend who came along with me, I was like, we got to get out of here. And we jumped on a bus and and left um, Derry for the Republic of Ireland and uh, finished uh, another walk that we were planned there. So sometimes those spirits, um, um, those spiritual energies can, you know um, still can be a lot lingering um, in some of these places um, that haven't resolved um, their past.
0: I'd like to ask you some questions now about walking as art. Mm-hmm. So one of, the other, one of the other interesting concepts co- is interesting for me because I hadn't really thought about it before. You consider yourself a walking artist. There's a whole organization of people who use walking as a, as a means to art. And could you just explain that?
1: Sure. Um, it's like performance art. Hmm. And in my case – I'm walking these um, narrow corridors, maybe about 10 miles wide, and it could be upwards of 400 miles or more long. That's my canvas. And I'm learning about the history, and I'm filling in that canvas with the history and other details of it as I'm walking. The lives of these communities that were once there the communities, the descendants that are still there now, how they interact uh, with the past. So it's, it's encompassing, you know, a variety of diverse interests. um, In it might be about architecture, anthropology, uh, archaeology, Afrofuturism. And, you know, um, part of that art, art process, as we've talked about is multi sensory, It's physical it encompasses me entirely Um, it's breathing it's um, seeing it's feeling it's smelling it's it's connecting living as a process it's sort of like a creative dance that you're having all at the same time figuring out the different parts and elements that you're most using at that time um, I'm taking pictures along the way, so there's an art element there. Sometimes I do a little video, you know, um, and, and I've had to purchase a new camera recently to try to kind of figure that out. I'm still trying to get that down because that's what more people are asking, oh, you should sh- shoot video, you know. It's really fascinating to look at it as a performance art, walking across this large area. And just, you know, um, documenting parts of it and, and talking about what you're sensing and feeling and, and how you, you know, interact with, you know, um, these places where um, there may have been good relationships with communities and, you know, there may not have been so good relationships, you know, um, may have been hard on African Americans in certain places because they were hunted, you know? And that's the difficult aspect um, to recognize in in some of these places, just that, um, you know, your color would give you away and, you know, tell tell people that you were probably a fugitive slave passing through there. So you had to be very careful um, in passing through some of these communities. Wrong turn would, you know, could cost you your life. Other ways that I incorporate the art into what I'm doing here is um, I do a lot of uh, uh, lantern-making type of uh, events and workshops. And what when I say lanterns, we use, um, right now, I'm I'm doing a lot of lantern workshops using round globe lanterns, uh, white Chinese-style lanterns. I have groups decorate them, and we make carrying sticks for them. And then we have a lantern parade afterwards and people give them lights and people light up and they can see their designs. And, and it's, a, it's a very soft way of uh, introducing the uh, idea of lanterns as a major light source during the 19th century. Um, that's what people used to see. And whenever you see an image uh, reflecting the Underground Railroad, there's always someone holding a lantern. Um, you might see lawn jockeys holding a lantern. Um, they were also part of the underground railroad. They provided direction. Um, if it was pointed this way, I meant going right. It might have been the shirt that they were wearing that also was an indicator of what direction, if it was safe, or you know, um, places to, to stop or um, some place they needed to continue moving on. So it's a, it's a, it's a it's I'm sort of couching it as a way of introducing. Um, freedom, and um, talking about, you know, um, the history of the Underground Railroad, and uh, it seems to bring communities together when, you know, people think they're just coming out to paint lanterns, and then we'll have this soft conversation about um, the Underground Railroad, and kids love it. Um, This last event I did for the Barnes Museum, we had almost 300 uh, people come through our tent, families come through our tent over a, a six hour period and uh, so it was really nice and um, so i love doing that i love uh, going anywhere where there's a, a lantern festival or parade going on and i'm trying to inspire philadelphians to um, have more lantern parades here and uh, so i've been putting some together and during covid it was difficult because couldn't bring people together so we did a uh, a lantern parade in place where people uh, created lanterns on the block that I live on um, using recycled um, uh, materials like two liter soda bottles. We would cut off the funnels and strip the, um, the name of the particular soda company off the bottle. And then we take white paper, glue it around the soda bottle, and then people could paint or collage that and then um, hang them. Uh, off their porches. Uh, we also make uh, pyramid um, style uh, lanterns out of bamboo sticks. And then we'll paper the three sides and people will decorate those. And um, so we, I would introduce to uh, the community different methods for making uh, lanterns and, um, and celebrating Juneteenth with them um, or Christmas holidays.
0: What else inspires you or who else inspires you artistically?
1: I think my brother, (laughs) he's the one that inspires me the most. He's a, he's a professional artist. He's a muralist. He's, uh, you know, always coming up with some really innovative uh, murals. I didn't grow up with an art background at all. Um, So I'm coming into this as an adult and, um, and I'm just really just following my interest. I, um, back in 2012, I started a, um, a winter carnival in Holyoke, Massachusetts. It's called the Holyoke winter carnival one of our biggest events was a luminaria where we took these uh, white uh, paper lunch bags and we put some sand in them and popped in a uh, tea light candle in them and we decorated we put like 2000 of them out in this park in the middle of winter and we invited people to come to participate and they just loved it so it was um it was from that event that i just kept pursuing um you know, lanterns and um, and just finding they bring so much joy to people's lives.
0: I keep thinking of this word when I'm thinking of you and it's illumination. You know, there's the light mm-hmm. the lanterns, but also the, that walking itself seems to illuminate an area in the sense that you can see it better. You can see it more yes. thoroughly. You can pick up more detail. I'm not sure exactly what mm-hmm. the etymology of illumination means, but that's what I'm feeling right now. It's that. Yeah the art artist that that is illuminating, it seems to be what you're drawn to.
1: Yes, it is. And it's about lighting the way in our community so people can see more clearly.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's um, what I, you know, try to incorporate um, in my walks and talks about you know, lantern making. Um, it's illuminating our lives, looking at the past and the present. You remember, freedom seekers didn't use lanterns necessarily when they were escaping because it would have given them away.
0: Right. It's a beacon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. And, um, but it was part of their lives, yeah. you know. And this is just a way of um, helping people to look around their lives in the different corners of their lives and be able to illuminate them um, from their bedrooms to their community and the issues that you know, they're currently facing and just to help them see a little bit more. And um, I encourage people to get out at night. I love you know parading with lanterns and it's just a, such a beautiful moment and just a, it's very life-affirming. It's a very life-affirming activity.
0: Well, I think of a parade as another type of walk, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's it's got its own nuances of what the type of walking that it is, but it is a Mm power, there's a power in going in a group, there's safety in going in a group, there's presence in going in a group. And I I do think that individual, the individual walking and illuminating history is important and necessary. And I also think groups of people doing it together also it's just a different it's a whole different thing that also needs to be happening more and even if it's an an evening that gathering is Mm -hmm. is really important for community
1: it's community building it is again it's one of these things i don't know why i do it i just love doing it though (laughs) and it's the magic of the night Mm -hmm. with the lanterns floating through the sky you know um the laughter and yeah, it's walking also. I you know I haven't even thought about the walking part of it. Right. You know I just do it, <laughs> and um, but yeah, yeah.
0: It's the it's the invitation to be involved in something that I think is mm-hmm. it's, there aren't enough in, invitations for, or there could be more invitations for people to step out of their day to day life, even outside. Yeah. You know to see what's going on that, that maybe modern modern life or certainly life right now is making it harder. It's harder to see the, some of the beautiful and, and also not so beautiful things that still need to be witnessed that still need to be seen. No, we have Mm -hmm. to, we have to be able to see them. Right. Okay. Well, what about just skipping to the actual or jumping, I guess, or walking? Mm -hmm. What about walking the actual act of walking? Like, have you learned anything about Mm -hmm. just the walking, just the boring walking part? Uh, I'm
1: so glad you brought that up because I never get that question when I'm being interviewed, you know. Well, of course Um,
0: it's going to come from me. So like, let's talk about the walking, the steps.
1: Yeah, it's it's walking, the physical act of walking um, is connecting to the earth. It's your roots connecting to the earth. And it's part of that sensory experience that I talked about that um, is just really amazing. It's, you know, it's... Our life is very fast right now, and it's a very slow mode of transportation. In that mode of transportation, in walking, you, you know begin to feel everything around you. Um, you hear your breath more. You feel your breathing. You feel the soles of your feet. And that's what this last walk across New Jersey was called, Soul to Souls, S-O-L-E to Souls. We were feeling the souls of the souls that that had uh, crossed this same uh, path that we were following. And what I love about it is, you know, people start out walking, and then after a number of miles, that's the first thing they start to feel is, you know, some of those pressure points under their feet um, or in their knees, um, in the joints of their body. And I keep telling them, drink water, that's the oil. And give yourself a little time, and that oil just begins to um, work through all the joints of your body. And I tell them, if you have back aches, um, if you just keep walking, um, you'll notice those back aches will slowly start to disappear. And just keep moving. And it brings out something about some of these walks. It, it brings out... Um, Other things going on in people's lives. So it's a way of releasing. And I've seen people cry on walks. I've cried on walks. And um, and in this last walk, this uh, one member of our team, um, she was relating a story, and then she just started crying. And then I told her to look up, and there was this beautiful tree with all these white flowers on it. And she looked up at the tree, and it was just – it was the release and the peace that she needed at the same time it was, it helped soothe her and helped um, put a lot of things behind that she had been holding on. And, um, and I've had that same experience. Uh, on my very first walk, I didn't realize it was it, you know, I was still carrying a lot of baggage from my divorce. And also the, the death of my daughter. We'd passed a number of years before that. And, and on that walk, I just uh, closed these chapters in my life. And, uh, and it was just so therapeutic. And the answer to that was just continue walking. I didn't realize it took, you know, it was going to take 215 miles walking across Massachusetts to close all those doors in such a healthy way. But that's what it did for me. uh, And when I got to the other side of the state, um, there was no more anger. It was just peace in my life. And that's what I get out of each of these walks is just um, whatever is on my mind, the time of those walks, it's like the clouds that come in. Um, The idea is there. The clouds come in, and by the time I've covered two, three miles, that cloud is that thought is now out of the mind. The cloud has passed and, um, and I'm looking at blue skies and it's just that way of helping one to um, cleanse their thoughts. And that's one of the beauties of, of walking.
0: Um, Do you think that somewhere in your body, it knew, even if your mind fully hadn't grasped yet, that walking would be the way to process, brief, close chapters?
1: No, I didn't know. I, didn't, I wasn't aware that it would do that. It was only with the number of hours, the number of miles, the number of footsteps, the number of hills that I crossed over, you know, that the new realities um, were ahead of me. And they were very life-affirming. They were clear, you know. Um, I could see the other side. Sometimes you can't see the other side of the mountain until you get to the top and over that hilltop. Um, and then it's like, wow, you know, I, I've made it. And I cleared those thoughts out. It's just wonderful for doing that. It's um, it's very peaceful. Sometimes just meeting with yourself in solitude is uh, what you need. You don't realize it. For instance, when I was walking across Puerto Rico um, in the, in September of 2019, a walk that my brother encouraged me to do, I would do three walks that year, Ireland, Puerto Rico, and then uh, Cambridge to New York. And I remember uh, when we, you know, Puerto Rico has these 3,000 foot mountains. And when we were crossing some of those 3,000 foot mountains, Puerto Rico has had a, a, a history of, um, violent imperialism and in seeking independence there were a lot of people that were killed um, by the u.s government and troops that were sent there to quell on um, some of those independent movements in those mountains you could sometimes feel those spirits come up into the mountains to find peace and um, i can remember i have pictures of, of this experience along the way passing by um, bamboo groves, and just hearing the sound of the bamboos as I was walking and just tuning into that sound. They're very rigid, thick bamboos. But then you would just hear the wind blowing through them and just a slight uh, movement of them. And there was something about, you know, the spirit that was in them, I could feel that spirit connecting with it on the walks the more you connect with the spirit of the land while walking, the less physical aspects of your body that you feel. And I can remember another occasion when I was uh, in Cape Cod, reaching Cape Cod. I remember I was telling you how I started that walk where I was connecting, trying to connect with all the bugs. (laughs) And I got into a place where I was I just started walking welcoming them into my life as visitors that were just curious about me. And I can remember this one stretch of the road for like, say, maybe a quarter of a mile to a half mile. This grasshopper just kept staying ahead of me, just a few feet. And as I kept walking, it was just, it was following along with me, just jumping. And we walked together for literally a half mile. And uh, until he broke off the conversation and went on about his business. And so you can have conversations, nonverbal conversations, uh, all kinds of, you know, wildlife um, as you're passing through um, some of these areas. And um, so that that nonverbal communication that you have is uh, along the way. If you tune in and you're in the moment, it uh, can be really profound. and. Um, and very liberating and and connects yourself to the wider world and that you're not alone even when you may be.
0: Are there any um, practical or emotional considerations that you would share with others who are going to join you on a walk, specifically a walk to freedom?
1: I think I would, you know, recommend just um, being in the moment, feeling the journey, Listening to their body um, is very important. Stopping with, before it becomes painful. Allowing your your thoughts to be unencumbered um, by things you may be experiencing in life. Just allow them to come. Don't don't edit. Don't censor them. Don't try to critique your thoughts. Um, just let them just let them come like the clouds, and they will pass. And um, but I think. Um, Really, just being in the moment is important. One of the things I've been doing of late is I've been starting off my walks doing night walks, so people really get the feeling like our the our first day of walking um, on the New Jersey Underground, Southern New Jersey Underground Railroad, was a fourteen mile night walk um, from Cape wow. May to Cape May Courthouse because I wanted the other three walkers to really be able to feel what it was like at night without lights, although I did say bring lights, you can wear lights, you can wear, you know, if you want to wear safety vests, you can, but um, you know, the roads are still pretty much the same as they were you know, uh, 170 years ago, and we would do these, you know, really intense (laughs) night walks where, you know, um, we were trying to duck traffic instead of ducking um, slave catches, we were ducking traffic. What people were able to get out is just you know the difficulty. You know, it's not exciting sometimes walking all at night, particularly when there's no moon out and you can't you can't really see below your waist. It's so dark you can't see roots that you may trip over or things like that. And they really experienced the difficulty of the journey um, that freedom seekers. Um, had to go through um, to you know, um, reach freedom. My first night walk was um, from a place called Poplar Neck, Maryland to Denton. And this was in, uh, I was replicating Harriet Tubman's 1854 rescue of her brothers. She had sent message for them to meet her at this um, plantation where her parents were working Uh, They had lived. They were both free at that point. Um, This is about 10, 15 miles north of Cambridge, Maryland, and um, it's right along the the Choptank River. So she was going to meet her three brothers, and it turned out to be nine people there um, that all wanted to escape. It was um, Christmas Day evening, Christmas evening. Um, I did my walk on Christmas Eve. Uh, it was a twenty-mile walk, so I started about 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve and walked all the way Christmas morning, uh, arriving in Denton finally about eight o'clock in the morning. Experience: It was 24 degrees <laughs> out that night. <laughs> there was um, there was no moon, but uh, there was clear sky. Unfortunately, there was no wind, um, so it wasn't it was cold, but it wasn't bitterly cold. <laughs> But I got to experience what it was like for her and her party, escaping that night, you know, in that bitter cold uh, winter. And uh, I don't know what exact direction I worked with the local um, historical society. This is the Caroline County Historical Society. And um, they helped me map out their the route that they believe was their best guess in which way she went. So I was walking over these rural roads um, at night and uh, it was really kind of neat you know because uh, in certain places could not see below your waist so you felt like you were gliding through the night sky um, particularly along the tree lines and uh, passing all these farms unfortunately a lot of um, houses now have sensory lights uh, outside. So there would always be this white light that would turn on. And then there was, you know, houses, all the houses were decorated with Christmas, you know, lights and things like that. So I was never really completely dark. But um, there's always you know, some kind of light source beaming at me. I encourage people to go out and do night walks. This is a different kind of feeling. You don't need to have lamps, your eyes actually adjust to the night. And uh, you can see quite well. Christmas holiday was a high season for runaway slaves. I don't know if that you know that. That was a day that they were typically okay. given uh, a day off. And um, so you could get, you know, one, two days ahead of, uh, of any, um, any slave catchers coming after you, bounty hunters, et cetera. Um, so that was, um, the winter was a high season for runaways because, of the longer nights, um, so you could get further. And so, um, another one of those occasions, you know, I've been doing that a little bit more often just to really kind of get that sensory experience of what it was like, um, being on a trail and passing a farmhouse and seeing the lights on the farmhouse. And you, you know, have to just slip through that night past it because so, you try and remain hidden so it's uh, it's been an interesting experience
0: where do you want, where do you want your feet to take you next like do you have another walk that you'd love to do
1: i got a few of them <laughs> um i feel like all my walking will not really tell the story until i make it to canada so the, last, the next leg of my walk that I'm really trying to find time for is the walk from New York to St. Catherine, Ontario. That's where Harriet Tubman um, settled and, uh, until she moved back to Auburn, New York. And, and, How long is that walk? That's another 400 miler from Harlem to St. Catherine. So it's on the other side of uh, Niagara Falls. So I'm trying to find time for that one. There's another walk that I'm very interested in. It's a 2,000-mile walk. It's from Alexandria, Virginia to New Orleans. It's an old slave um, trading route. And uh, they would literally march these coffles of African Americans um, south from the upper south of Maryland. They had slave pens and in Baltimore and Alexandria and Richmond, Virginia, and they would march them across um, Virginia, West Virginia, um, Kentucky, and southwards uh, to New Orleans. Um, there's nothing really left of, of that route. Um, but you know, we've all heard of the Trail of Tears and how the Indians were moved um, from their lands in the east to to Oklahoma and those areas, well, more slaves were moved across this route than than Native Americans during the Trail of Tears, and I'm interested in in exposing more about that walk, I'm exposing those communities to their history and what that walk was like. Because, you know, some of those communities passed laws. You know, we can't bring the coffles through at certain hours of the day because they just didn't like seeing. You know all these people chained, and these men, women, and children, and they would just you know, people would die. They would just dispose their bodies in you know ravines and, and along the creeks and things like that. And, uh, and there's a there's a book um, that talks about all of this, um, the ledger and the chain. So I think I need to I need to find sponsorship to do that walk um, because of the length of time that it would take. Take about three, three to four months to complete that walk, but there's an is an incredible story there that uh, just calls at me, and um, so yeah, there's just there's many walks, um, but my next one this year is going to be across. Uh, is going back. I'm going back to Puerto Rico again. Um, I started this book. It was messages to the next democratically elected governor of the island and uh, what people think and feel and so I've collected about 85 to 100 um, different signatures from people who describe what they want the next governor to do for the island so I need to continue working on that and so this walk is going to be a a walk around the perimeter of the island Um, that's about it's going to take us a month to do that so we've covered about a quarter of all the townships this will help us reach maybe about three quarters of the island, all the townships on the island. So we'll start in San Juan and we'll walk all the way around all the beach communities um, across the island. So that's, uh, that's supposed to happen in December. We'll see if that, what happens. I got to figure that out with my job to get that time off. I've left jobs. I've quit. You know, I'm that guy who quit his job.
0: Right, we saw that in the paper.
1: That was the headline. So I'm trying not to do that. Um, I have a nice job now. I'm working at Haverford College um, in their HR department. and uh, So I'm hoping uh, the college does close down for a little bit during that time period uh, during the Christmas, New Year holiday. So I'm hoping that uh, I can use up some vacation time for about a week and a half and then and hopefully the college will close down, you know, and I'll be able to use that time to walk. So it's always been a little tricky with uh, the job front and wanting to do these walks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how do you get sponsorship? How can we sponsor you? How can listeners sponsor you?
1: One of the ways I've done this is I've um, up to this point, I've done like a GoFundMe page
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that has supported me on some of the of the long walks. But I'm, I'm a little bit past that point now um, I need to find some you know real sponsorship um, I need to create a nonprofit um, so I can also go after grants and things like that rather than trying to depend on commercial sponsorship and you know with grants I can you know um, work them as a an educational art grant and uh, and to be able to support myself during that time period. So it's not a loss of income also, but it would allow me, you know, the difficulty about um, doing these walks is I come off the walks and I have to work right away, I'm broke. (laughs) and I have to work right away. And so that time that I would have to be able to sit down and write um, is lost. So that's why that's the importance of the pictures. Um, So to help me remember, um, during these walks. Unfortunately, when you, when you have to walk like with this Puerto Rico walk and with this, some of the Montgomery walk, I was pressed for time and, you know, I had to cover a hundred miles a week. So this walk around Puerto Rico, it's going to be covering a hundred miles a week. So you're, you you do not have a lot of time to stop and chit chat too much. Um, but, um, I hope that, um, I will be able to do more of that in the future, where I will actually be able to sit down and have time to be able to write and document you know, the walk. So that's that's the challenges of these uh, long walks. Um, I try to keep up with my web page. Sometimes okay with it, and sometimes not okay. You know, I don't get to it for a while. I gave away my computer recently, and uh, to my sister, and so I just purchased a new one. So I have to come back to the website. and Kind of update what's happened since the end of the you know New Jersey walk and upload pictures and things like that and keep up with that. Their you know websites are hungry, you know they require a lot of data.
0: Well, I for one would love to read or listen to your adventures at some point, and I appreciate you coming on today and just sharing them verbally with me today. It's quite Thank illuminating, you. and I wish you the best of success and. I hope that we're hearing about walks to freedom for some time. Like, I just feel like there's so many more walks for you still.
1: Oh yeah. There there are. I just uh, hope I can find the time to do them. Um, You know, it's a, it's a great way of meeting new people, connecting with your community and just, you know, discovering um, people's lives and how they live them.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming and talking with me today.
1: Well, thank you um, Katie. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I'm, I, I need to come back and do more work with you know uh, nutritious movement. I, uh, I get off these walks and then I sit for a long period of time. <laughs> I'm trying to break that cycle.
0: <laughs> How does your body feel? How does your body feel like when that end of your first week back to work?
1: Um, my body still feels very good. Um, a lot of energy, a lot of memories still just very excited about what I just completed so yeah that um, those memories just live in, live in me for quite a long while and it's hard finding people hey you want to go for a 15 mile walk today <laughs> people, yeah. and I, just, I try to tell them look it's just a long morning walk and a short afternoon walk you know and after eight hours you're you're done.
0: <laughs> I tell people that too and I can't get a lot of takers if we live closer I would definitely walk
1: with you regularly yeah yeah but it's um it's really enjoyable and um i think i'm going to go walk gettysburg next it's about two hours from my house and um there was an underground railroad route that ran through there and uh, part of a walk i did um last year was a 75 mile walk it was um commemorating the 170th anniversary of the christiana resistance um and uh of these uh, freedom seekers who traveled to this little small hamlet uh, in Christiana, Pennsylvania. The slave uh, owner came to try to get them and uh, this was in 1851 and um, there ended up being a skirmish and the slave master was killed. Edward Gorsuch, Here, the last name, Gorsuch. Sounds familiar. Yes, he's related to the Supreme Court Justice. Um, mm. And the principal actors involved. The freedom seekers were able to escape to Canada with the help of Frederick Douglass. So it was a really wonderful walk across uh, Amish country um, here in Pennsylvania and um, taking in a lot of history there. And it's just, I was walking just east of Gettysburg. So I want to go back and experience uh, walking across uh, the lands of Gettysburg National uh, Military Park. And that was all about destroying slavery
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's lots of history out here. lots of trails to walk out here in pennsylvania connecting it's all about connecting to the land
0: um well what website can people go check you out even though i know it's not up to date can they still go check you out a little bit there read a few of your questions?
1: yes they can go to um my website it's our walk to freedom o-u-r w-a-l-k-t-o freedom.com or walk to freedom.com or they can just google uh, google me or uh, ken johnston and walk to freedom
0: yeah you've done plenty of good media too there's lots of good articles out there i'm sure anytime you walk past or through a town they want to interview you because yeah you quit your job. You got, they gotta know the story
1: yeah yeah i still uh don't feel the best at interviewing yet um still haven't found the conciseness that uh I need to have for uh, media. I still don't have my thirty-second elevator speech down yet. Yeah,
0: I don't have that either. I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm not concise, or and I'm not great at interviews. But in in the end, you can still get out your message. It doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: That's why I write hundred thousand word books because brevity. uh, I don't know if brevity is doing us a lot of good. (laughs) <laughs> I think sometimes the slower, the slower, longer, deeper versions might be where there's more answers. Anyway,
1: mm, yeah, yeah. I was really overwhelmed with this last walk. We finished, and they had this. You know, I don't usually get a reception at the end of walks, and this one but, was an amazing reception. Um, one of the other walkers put it together. Was at the. Uh, Burlington Quaker Meeting House, and they had a choir. Um, They had a descendant of Harriet Tubman that came um, to speak. She presented me with the lantern to continue carrying the light forward. And um, we organized all the um, Underground Railroad churches and stations that we had passed uh, to come together. And that was the first time that they all came together. They've been acting as uh, silos in their own communities, trying to continue the legacy of the Underground Railroad and brought them together. And they just like all these people, they were just sharing ideas. And um, so we we're you know, trying to build a coalition with these groups and um, where they come together a couple of times a year to look at how they can connect their stories because they were all part of the same Underground Railroad lines, just separated by 10 to 20 miles. Um, but yet you know they've had difficulty uh, keeping in touch so um, in our final walk we had over 50 people that came out to walk eight miles with us fraternities and sororities and community members and it was just a really and we had catered to lunch Um, it was really amazing it was was just the most incredible uh, reception I ever received at the end of a walk and it just made it that much more touching and and the community felt very touched that we the walk brought them all together. So it was nice.
0: Would you like to see more people walking these walks?
1: Oh, I'd love to see more people come out and walk um, so they can touch history. And, you know, uh, particularly young people, so they can uh, experience um, the history in their communities. Um, it's very important. And each community has a different history, you know? Um, when I arrived in Perth-Amboy, New Jersey, Perth-Amboy started off as, um, it was the capital of New Jersey at one point in time, and it was a slave, uh, they had a slave market there, and slave traders preferred bringing um, fresh slaves into Perth-Amboy because the taxes were cheaper in New Jersey than bring them into um, New York City. So they would bring them there, they would sell them, and then they would be carried off to New York City. And then it later became an underground railroad station in its history. And when I arrived, the city wanted to change its history. And so they welcomed us. They provided a police boat to escort us across the um, Arthur Kill River to Tottenville, New York, uh, Staten Island. That was really an amazing uh, turnout of people from that community um, to welcome us. They really were just uh, very, very uh, enthusiastic about what we were doing. Uh, it was me, my brother, his dog, <laughs> walking all the way across New Jersey. Uh, it was really following the Underground Railroad. It was really incredible um, journey to Harlem, New York, yeah.
0: Are you, are you having to piece together a lot of these walks yourselves, um, or are they clearly, uh, like, is there a walking guide no, if you
1: want
0: there's to, no. It's not marked anywhere, like historic.
1: No, there's no, there's no markings for the Underground Railroad, huh. unfortunately.
0: Would you like to see that change? Would you like there to be? Yes, defeat?
1: and we did. Um, shortly after we finished our walk in New Jersey, um, the state of New Jersey passed the Black Heritage Trail Law. Um, I went to Trenton, New Jersey, to the Capitol, to see this this law enacted, um, or this bill. They uh, attached a million dollars to it. And so now there's a committee that's going to be uh, establishing where to put markers around New Jersey um, to um, help people become acquainted with the Black Heritage Trail, is what they're calling it. Yep. Um, so that was exciting that that happened uh, uh, within three weeks of finishing our walk there. So the timing of all these things just came together. It was really wonderful. And the bill was introduced by um, the Harriet Tubman Museum in Cape May, New Jersey, working with their local state uh, representative, who was Republican, uh, that helped uh, put this forward. So it was was really good. I would love to see that because people don't know, you know, they just don't know that, uh, you know, the Underground Railroad, they think it was just, you know, Philadelphia um, or just New York. But it was... uh, spread out across all many of these communities Um, here in the mid-atlantic um i think uh ohio has the most underground railroad stations and routes uh, north to the canadian border um that's a place i'm still looking to go to um again but uh even um on the west coast you know there were um underground railroad routes and there's just no there's no signage it's really sad that um you know you have if you want to walk the Pacific Coast Trail, you'll find signs for that, yeah. and,
0: and uh, books and many books probably
1: and many books, yeah,
0: about it. But but not the other way around.
1: And yeah. I, you know, I deliberately have dis, you know decided I don't want to walk the Appalachian Trail. I don't want to walk the PC um, Trail. You know, my interest is in these cultural heritage trails that illuminate and
0: mm-hmm.
1: highlight. Um, cultures and how they intersected here that is my interest Um,
0: and similarly like I like to do long walks but not necessarily the big far travel away walks but the walks that illuminate the people where you live and the landscapes mm -hmm. that you're um, from I I just think that we're, we're quick to escape to this other big iconic walk and are just missing um it can be just the history, the, yeah. the importance of walking where you are. And then you can get the same same benefit. You know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a connection here. There's a, there's a deep connection right. that
1: can be found. And, you know, before automobiles, I mean, that's what people did. They walked. Right. Um, you know, and with the aid of uh, also horses and, and carriages, that was, you know, another mode of transportation. But they basically walked. And, um yeah. And trying to get them to come back to doing more of that. Um, we miss that. We miss that connection between towns, you know. And like my brother, during the pandemic, he started walking his kids. He has four kids, five to 13 now. Actually, six to 13. The youngest, uh, they would start out, you know, they were just going stir-crazy during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. he started taking them for walks and they started it with two mile walks and then it became five miles. And then after a while, they were completing 10 mile walks, a five-year-old completing a 10 mile walk in cowboy boots because she loved her boots. <laughs> I finally bought, I, I said, look, we got to get her some real hiking shoes. So I bought the two youngest hiking shoes and, um, and they just love going out for walks and now they prank their friends by and say, hey, come with us. We're going out for a walk. And, you know, after two miles, the friends are like, uh, how much further are we going? And they're like, oh, we're just getting started. But it, it has taught them so much resilience within themselves that they can do these things. They can do a 10-mile walk. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I can't do that. And here they they're doing it. It's like, look at these kids. They're doing it. You know, you can do it.
0: I mean, you can walk to another state. You can. You can, you can do this, you know, outside of disability. I just don't even think we can even hold our capacity for movement in our head because we just haven't. But right. you can. You can do this. You can walk across the country, you know, like all of our ancestors did, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's not even a, a newfangled idea. It's an old fashioned idea. You right. know, it's an old.
1: I know this one author. She said that's what your bodies are designed for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and designed by, you know. Yeah. Like that.
1: and uh, you just got to move your DNA. You know? Exactly,
0: exactly.
1: And uh, that was my uh, that was my o- one of my audio books on my walk across the uh, South from Selma to Memphis. Move your DNA.
0: What are some of your other? Why don't you? Can you give me a list of? We'll 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 end with your audio book walking list. What are five great books that you listened to that you were just really glad that you were listening to while mm-hmm. you were walking, while you were out and about?
1: Well, a lot of them are about um, the Underground Railroad um, while I'm walking. So some good ones right now I would walk with is um, Amani Perry um, Walking. How to South to America, as she calls it, money Perry south to america Mm -hmm. it's about uh her travels across the deep south um looking at their history um not the upper south and the lower south that's a good one What other ones hold on they're all on my uh i love this one called uh, yellow wife by she's a Philadelphian author um she no longer lives in philly but she was from here yellow wife of Sadiq johnson uh is a good one and that covers that's the story about um, this light-skinned African-American who is uh, – she's enslaved and she's very talented. It's based on a true story, and um, and she's purchased by this uh, slave trader who's based out of Richmond, Virginia. They end up having children together, and how those children, you know, recognize their mother and – in just that relationship, that dynamic of being a slave and being married to the person who's enslaving you. It's a book that just has you on the edge of your seat. You know, it's just that good.
0: <laughs> I got to go get it.
1: There's some difficult times in the book where you have to work through, but then there's some it, it always comes back to a lighter moment.
0: Okay, um, I'm
1: That's a favorite. Uh, she Came to Slay by Erica. Armstrong Dunbar, it's uh, about Harriet Tubman. Um, Mm -hmm. That's really good. Unbound uh, by Tarana Burke is another one. And she, you know, talks about um, her color. She's very dark-skinned and how society looks at her, uh, being a dark-skinned individual, abuse that she um, uh, experienced as a child and how she uh, worked out of that. Um, to find a new life for herself, there is a book. Um, it's a Native American book called They're There, There. Um, that's very good. I loved uh, listening. That's by Tommy Orange, and he talks about um, Native American youth connecting with them today, what their interests are, um, how they have life on the rez, and but the way he writes it and brings these looks like very. Um, distinct individual stories, how he brings them all together and how they all come crashing together at this powwow. But it's a very contemporary story. Love that. When I was um, Puerto Rican is another one um, by Esmeralda uh, Santiago. Talks about her life uh, growing up in Puerto Rico and then um, coming to the United States and living in New York City, growing up in New York City and um, how she, how a teacher inspired her, and then she went on to uh, great academic success, and was accepted at Harvard, and graduated from Harvard. Uh, really nice story. So just you know, those are just some that just kind of jump out there. Um, but it uh, it's really wonderful to walk and have a story to listen to, and, and then when you get tired, you can turn it off and just listen to the birds and, and life around you, you know, life energy around you.
0: Well, thanks for sharing uh, yeah. your story with us. I hope to hear more from you.
1: Okay, all right. Well, I will. I will get back on my uh, website and, and try <laughs> to create some more stories for you to read.
0: No pressure. No pressure, Okay. <laughs> friends. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ken Johnston, Freedom Walker, as much as I did. I hope it gets you thinking. And of course, as always, I hope it gets you moving. Be well, peeps. Hi, my name is Debbie from California. This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it's not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. Our theme music was performed by Dan McCormick, This podcast is produced by Brock Armstrong and the transcripts are done by Annette Yen. Find out more about Katie, her books, and her movement programs at nutritiousmovement.com.